Good to see everyone. Uh, it's about that time. It is February the 5th, 2023 AD, and the world still counts time by Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer, and we will begin to begin. Dear Father, we are grateful for this day. We know it's your gift. Every day is. We know that Scripture tells us in you we live and move and have our very being. And because of that, we also know that you hear us. And so we thank you for your word and all the ways you've provided all the things you've provided for us were blessed the most in all the world. Ask your blessings and guidance on us today as we look at, at your word. We pray for your leading. I know that there are several among us who are not feeling well and have various degrees of illness. We know we're temporary here. We do pray for um, the care they're being given and ask your blessings in each case that our members may be thinking of right now for physical and spiritual and emotional needs that they have. So we ask your blessings on them. And we pray, Father, again for your leading in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week... Paul finished making, uh, we're in Romans chapter 5, and Paul finished making the case last week that Abraham was justified before God by faith before he carried the sign of the Jews, before he was circumcised. And the point Paul was making to his readers in Rome is that God accepts everyone who comes to him whether they're circumcised or not, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. And that's why I used Abraham's example before the sign of circumcision was given. So Abraham was justified by faith. He makes that point in chapter 4, not by works of the law. Let's, let's read um, just to kind of get us into this. Let's pick up about... Uh, Let's just start in verse 21 of chapter 4 and read into chapter 5 from chapter 4, 21. Um, so he's talking about Abraham here, fully convinced that God was able to do that, uh, what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake only, but for ours also. And it will be counted to us, some versions say credited, to us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered up for our trans transpasses and raised for our justification. So he says, Abraham's righteousness by faith was not for him only, but this is written for us too who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead. Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's for us as well. Then he goes into five. Therefore, 
since I've spent chapter 4 making this point to you readers, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord being God, Jesus being Savior, Christ being the Messiah. And he says, we have peace with God. This is a, this is a big contrast to what Paul has talked about during the first three, three or four chapters of Romans. He's, he, he talks about in Romans 1 through... Um, so he had made the point in the first three chapters of the book, of his letter, not about peace with God, but about God's wrath. He starts out in chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. Uh, God's not at peace with unrighteousness. He's not at peace with sin. And Paul starts his letter off talking about this as he establishes that all mankind is under sin and needs needs God's help. And so he talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven. In chapter 3, verse 9, he says, All people, all the Jews and all the Gentiles are under sin. So no no one's good enough to be right in God's eyes because of their heritage or because of what they've done. Because we have all, they have all, all humankind has made mistakes. And he says, quoting the Psalms in chapter 3, verse 10, none are righteous, no, not one. So he's laboring this point to get across to his Uh, I started to say hearers, but his readers, he wants to establish the point that you need God more than you need the next breath. You are not good on your own. You're not good to go. And the idea is to leave a feeling inside those, a compelling feeling inside those readers as they see these words, a compelling feeling that I need God. This is not okay to just rock along with what I'm doing. I've made plenty of mistakes, and before God, I can't stand. I need God's help. I need God's rescue. That's the message of this to us as well today. You know, you hear uh, a lot of times someone passes away. It's an accident or whatever it was, and uh, a lot of people will talk about, uh, you know, they were such a good person. They were just lit up the room when they walked in, their smile lit up the room, and they would give you the shirt off their back and all these things, and that's all well and good. That doesn't remove sin. Being a good person doesn't remove sin as we judge each other by ourselves. We need Jesus. Thank, thank God we have Jesus because we're, we're being a major problem, major fix without him. So thank God we have him. But, but that kind of mentality, you read about that all the time or you see it, listen to it on the news as someone's talking about someone who's passed on. May have been a great civic servant, doctor, it doesn't matter. It's not man's goodness that gets us to heaven. We have too many mistakes. 
God will not bring sin into heaven. That is why it was the extreme case of him sacrificing his very son to qualify us because of his payment. Uh, and then in chapter 4, verse 15, he, he talks about the law brings wrath. So he says it depends on faith in verse 16 of chapter 4 to access God's grace. So the point he's been making again, one more time I'll say, is to show these people that are reading and us that we need Jesus, that we need God's rescue. And so he gets to chapter 5 and says, therefore we have been justified, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, peace because our sin is paid for. Peace because of his faith, Jesus' faith in the Father, in the Father's ability to raise him from the dead. Uh, Jesus, like we said before, Jesus hadn't been through this. He didn't know what it was like to die. He didn't know what it was like to carry sin. He didn't know what it was like to be separated from his father who he had been with in all eternity. So he had to have faith in his father's ability to bring all of this to completion. So he says, Father, I don't want to do this. He's praying in the garden. I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He's trusting the Father that this is going to work okay as prophesied. I mean, there's an element there of his humanity of there's a little bit of a question in that. And then finally, at the cross, as he's, his last words, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He's saying, okay, I'm giving up now. I'm giving up. I'm going to go through this. Uh, I'm at the end, and I'm giving my spirit to you. I'm trusting you. The faith of Jesus is what gives us access into the Father. Now, you come to us, so we have peace because we have faith in what he did. And our faith is in his sufficiency as his payment for us. I was talking to Ken about this last week. Not that Ken, but that Ken. And to Eric, there you are. Uh, if it depended on my weak faith, you know, my faith, is that enough to get me to heaven, my weak faith? Mm. It can move mountains. Now don't, don't cause problems. The faith of Jesus went, enabled him to go to the cross and to go through the payment for my sin. And so I put my faith in him because he put his faith in the Father. And this was God's plan to be able to credit to me Jesus' righteousness. So we have peace because of our sin debt is paid, peace because his, of his faith in the Father's plan, peace because of our faith in him, and peace because this whole thing is the price was paid by God the Father himself. He's the one that paid the price. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, the Father, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf. So God arranged 
When I say God, I'm talking about the Father. He arranged the payment for my sin. This is his doing. This is his plan. So when you're feeling, uh, as we rightly so, feel inadequate and inconsistent and feeble, which we are, we need to always remember it doesn't depend on me to be able to make the grade. God the Father himself paid the price for my sin. This is his doing. So my confidence is not in me keeping all of the Christian precepts perfectly. John says, you can't do it. That's why you have an advocate, Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, if you, and following, he says, we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ. He is the one who takes our petitions to the Father. The Son of God does that. Hebrews chapter 7 he ever, he's able to save us completely to the utmost because he ever lives to intercede for us. So God's plan is to keep us saved by his action. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about our action a little bit later. But he's the one driving this thing. We're not able to do it on our own. We need to, uh, so when you, when you feel inadequate, that's okay, but don't stay there. Just let's go back and put our faith back on God the Father. He's the one that has made the payment for us. Uh, so we have peace because as Christians, we live in a state of grace. We live in a state of forgiveness, of continual forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, his blood keeps us cleansed from all sin. We live in a state of continual forgiveness. That's the only way we can make it to heaven, is to live in a state of continual forgiveness. And God the Father has arranged that for us. Comments? Different kind of peace. Say it. Say more. Yeah, we have peace with God, but not the peace of God. So, we have, that's you know, we're, we're, we're in a relationship now with God. In a relationship, yes, yes, in a relationship with God, and it's He is the one that arranged it. He is the one that set it up. Um, so, you know, as Paul will address this. Someone says, well, if I live in grace, why not just sin? The more I sin, the more grace I get, right? And Paul comes back to this, and we'll look at this when we get to chapter 6, but he, he says uh, in Romans chapter 6, verse 2, he said, no, no. He said, you died to sin when you became a Christian. You died to sin. You, you put away certain things in your life. You don't live for yourself now. Paul writes about that in Galatians 2. I'm crucified with Christ. I've died to sin. So I'm not living for me anymore. I'm living in and for Jesus. Uh, I have a new identity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. We are. And our identity is in Jesus. Uh, 
he says in Romans 6.13, present your bodies not to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but as instruments of righteousness to God. I want to, I want to read with, the, I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 10 very briefly. But the idea of living in grace doesn't mean cheap. It's not cheap. And it doesn't mean that it's a uh, opportunity for my selfishness to take over and just to be at peace. I was, I was living in, uh, when I had dark brown hair, living in Decatur, Georgia, three, three bachelors living together. And uh, I was teaching school at Greater Atlanta Christian at the time, and uh, one of the guys, we were, we were in, I was in my early 20s, the other two were a little older, but young bachelors, and one of them, we get to the supper table that night, and Joe just lets, lets rip just a line of cuss words, and he says, don't worry, it's covered by grace. <laughs> no, Joe, that's not, that's not the idea. Uh, he's repented since, by the way. He's an elder, by the way, last time I heard. Hebrews chapter 10, notice what he says here, uh, starting in verse 26. If we go on sinning deliberately, he's talking to Christians, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, talking about Jesus, who Jesus is, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. He said, if you continue in your sinful way of life once you've come to Christ and you don't make a change, your repentance doesn't last, you just go back and stay in the old way, he said, the sacrifice for sin is over. The sacrifice doesn't count anymore. If you, and then he goes on. But a fearful, verse 27, a, a fearful expectation of judgment and fury that will come assume the adversaries. Every sinner, every one of us, as sinners, God loves us, but we're enemies. We were enemies in the fact that we were living contrary to his will. And that's why he arranged for Jesus to be the sacrifice to pay our sins for us. To move us from the category of being an enemy into the category of adopted sons and daughters who live at peace with God. So, verse 28, anyone, Hebrews 10, 28, anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who tramples underfoot the Son of God and profanes the blood of the covenant by which he was made holy and outrages the spirit of grace. Sort of interesting there. The spirit of grace, which the Holy Spirit is. But he says, if you rebel against the Father, you've, you've come to Christ and you turn away from God and trample underfoot the name of Jesus and the blood of the covenant that paid for your sins and you trample that by the way you're living in rebellion, he says you will outrage the spirit of grace. Yes, the spirit of grace, but he can be outraged. So, we don't take sin lightly. We don't take it lightly. 
we're all prone to it. We're all weak. But as we live, that's why I think one major reason Paul tells the Thessalonians to pray continually, pray without ceasing. He's saying, stay tuned to God. Stay in tune. Stay in tune. Stay in tune. We live and move and have our very being in him. My conscious thought, your conscious thought, our conscious thoughts as we go about our days needs to be not about what am I going to do about this or that. We have those thoughts because we live in a world, but our overriding consciousness needs to be, I, like Gene Cosby says in our Sunday night group, I'm so thankful I belong to God. That needs to be our consciousness. And if that is my consciousness, then that affects the decisions I make and the actions I take and the words that I speak. So it's not cheap. So God's peace is offered and given to us as we live to honor his son and to honor the blood of the covenant paid for us. If we live that way, we have peace with the Father once we become his children. So then let me go on. Verse 2. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory. Hope of the glory of God, I think it says, yes. Hope. Not I wish I could win the lottery. Uh, the word hope that we use today doesn't mean what the word hope means here. The, the Greek word elpis for hope is the idea of expectation. We hope to have our life group at our house tonight. We're expecting to have our life group at our house. It hasn't happened yet, but we expect that. That's the kind of hope he's talking about. It's something that hasn't happened in the timeline, but he's fully expecting to happen. Not a wish that I could win the lottery, which is zero. Hope is not wish, as he uses it here. Hope is expectation of what's coming as time goes forward. So he says, we rejoice in the hope, in the expectation of the glory of God. Um, it's, I noticed in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, Paul talks about Eodia, Sintichi, some people say Syntyche, and Clement, he says, and their fellow workers whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So they are living, at the time that was written, they are living in the hope of eternal life. Not wishing, but in the expectation of it. Paul says, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They live in hope of their eventual reality when they pass from this life to the next. It's an expectation that just you're looking forward to that happening. In the hope of the glory of God. So easy to read over that very quickly. And just read on to the next one. Read on to the next verse. Just read through it. The hope of the glory of God. 
we're talking about something that we have no ability to comprehend. <laughs> I can't comprehend that. When God was leading Moses and the Israelites uh, out of Egypt, and they, they, they did that, and then he's about ready to give him the uh, book, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, and it says the mountain, Mount Sinai, the mountain was shaking and smoke and fire and cloud. And it's pretty uh, terrifying sight, like we would think of a volcanic eruption today. Similar. So Moses goes up there and he go, climbs up the mount. God calls him up there. He goes and uh, God tells him, now Moses, you can't look at my face. It would kill you. <laughs> so I can't show you my face. You, you can't. It's too much for you. And after Moses received, spent his 40 days up there and comes back down, Scripture says his face was shining so brightly that it scared the Israelites and Aaron and all the people. What has happened? And they're terrified. Being around God's presence scared him, scared him to start with, but then just the result of that, his face was shining. He had to put a cover over his face because he was too much to look at, the glory of God. Um, Isaiah, when he had a vision in Isaiah chapter 6, and he saw the, uh, the representation of God in heaven with the seraphim flying, uh, hovering about him uh, with six wings and two wings over their eyes and two over their feet and two were working and and Elijah sees this and he says, oh, he, he says, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live in a nation of a people with unclean lips. That's Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 5. And uh, one of the seraphim touches, touches him with a tongue, uh, with a burning charcoal and says, okay, your sins are forgiven. That's an interesting phrase there. But he says, it's okay. Just relax. Just relax. I have a message for you. The glory of God, more than we can comprehend Revelation, when John sees Jesus' face in chapter 1, verse 16, says his face, Jesus' face is shining like the sun in full brightness. <laughs> Shining like the sun in full brightness, face of Jesus. And at the end of the vision, he talks about how that in the new Jerusalem, the new environment, whatever heaven is like, he says that there's no need for sun there because the glory of God will be its light. Jesus says in John 17 to the disciples, he, well, he's he prays to the Father, Father, I desire that those that you have given me may be where I am and see the glory that you gave me before the foundation of the world. He said, Jesus says, I want them to see me in the glory you gave me before all of this started. I want my people to see me that way. And then here's a neat one, 1 John 3 verse 2. We're children of God, and we don't know yet what we'll be like, but we know that when we get there, we'll be like him because we will see him as he is, and we will be like him, whatever that is. 
way beyond human glory, way beyond our ability to comprehend. When Christ, Colossians 3, 4, who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ appears, we will appear with him in glory. Just enough to give you chills. As Jim Moran used to say back in West Monroe, if they don't light your fire, your wood's wet. You ever heard that before, Bill? You got one you can use now. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, No eye has seen, ear has heard, nor has it entered into anyone's imagination the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So the glory of God is beyond our comprehension. Now Paul has given them, the Romans there, he's given them a taste of what's coming. Talking about the glory of God and that they have access by faith into God's grace and they have this expected future. He's given them a taste because he wants them to know you need something to keep you tuned in and motivated because there's going to be a little persecution come along the way. And when it comes, I don't want you to fall off. I don't want you to turn around. I don't want you to get discouraged. I don't want you to give up. I want you to have a taste of what's ahead for you as God's children because there's some persecution coming and so you need to be able to weather that storm. You need to go through that. So then he gets to verses 3 through 5 where he starts talking about that a little bit. Not only, he says, not only that, what does that refer to? Not only the hope of glory, he's referring to what he just said. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Ooh. <sighs> Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope, your expectation. You know, when the apostles, it's about Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 42, they're called in before the Sanhedrin. They're causing quite a stir there in Jerusalem, teaching about Jesus and about the resurrection and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the priests, they don't like all of this stuff going on about Jesus and they're afraid of losing their political power, so they bring them in. And uh, after several uh, interactions with them and warnings, they finally end up beating them and say, now quit speaking, don't speak any further about this name of Jesus. And the scripture says they leave there after their beating rejoicing that they had been worthy to suffer for the name. I'm glad I was able to take that whipping, that beating for the name of Jesus. It was an honor. How's our commitment? How's our commitment? We all have ways that we can serve. Our challenge is ourself. Does the opportunity to serve interfere with my schedule with what I want to do?
We're different people. We have different ta- uh, gifts, different capabilities, different opportunities. The challenge to each of us is not to let my selfishness interfere with my opportunity that God gives me to serve, whether it be financially or whatever, however way. That's the prime directive. I think that's from Star Trek Picard, the next generation. Is that right, Alan? Alan's looking like he doesn't know. You're not following Picard? No. That's the prime directive. My life belongs to God. He gave me breath today. I've got things to do, responsibilities to take care of, but I, and he wants me to have some fun, I think. I don't know that he cares if I have a lot of fun or not, actually. But I've got a prime directive, and that's to honor the blood of the covenant by what I say and do. And it's not something I do just occasionally. It's how I live. That's the charge to us. Uh, So it's about having a new mindset. You know, today, uh, at, at this point in time, we're not under the same circumstances that our brothers and sisters were ahead of us during their time when if their faith were known, they could come under some serious repercussions. A lot of them end up in the arena or staked up on poles to give light to the city of Rome as they burn. We're not under that threat yet. But you, are not, you are not me because I don't work anymore. That's, that feels strange to say that. I do work. But I don't have to clock in. People may feel repercussions as people at work or their bosses know about their Christian faith. Sometimes there are repercussions to that. A promotion may be skipped over, looked over. Co-workers may not, uh, you may not be the most popular person in the unit. It just, you know, it's subtle. Sometimes it's not too subtle. But, um, you know, you probably saw this past week where a group of Catholic kids were at the Smithsonian Institute and they were wearing pro-life toboggans. And one of the security officers asked them to leave the museum because that uh, that was not allowed. What happened to the First Amendment? It just says pro-life. So that's a form of persecution for standing up for something that is godly. So persecution comes. It's getting cranked up. We're not far away from the time where you, if preachers quote verses in here, uh, that will be called hate speech. And there'll be lawsuits. We're, we're right up to that point. And that's coming very soon, most likely. Tests. I think tests are designed, well, James says such, 
They're designed, uh, and 1 Peter talks about it too, as well as what Paul says here in Romans 5, is to help us peel away the superfluous, peel that away and to be able to focus on what's important, on what's eternal. Too many distractions, too much distraction going on. You get some pressure, some testing, a little bit of persecution, and it helps to refocus and helps you and me to see what's really the priority and peel away the superfluous that I get distracted by and to refocus on the priorities of life. That's what we need to take out of testing. Uh, Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, I was afraid of dying. This is verse 8 and 9, chapter 1. He said, well, I was pushed to the point of death. He said, but then I realized in verse 9 that these tests were to help me rely not on my strength, but on God, who raises the dead, to help Paul refocus on what was important. And it was not to rely on himself, but to rely on God who raises the dead. That's what we're called to be like. That's the way we're called to think. So verse 6, this is a powerful verse. Turn too many pages there. Let me get back. Romans 5 verse 6, while we were still weak, that means helpless, at the right time, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will hardly die for righteous persons, maybe for a good person. Some might dare to die. But God chose, chose his love for us that he died for us while we were, Jesus died for us while we were sinners. And notice verse 9. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by his life. from the wrath of God. If you were saved while you were an enemy to God, if I was saved while I was an enemy to God, living against God's will, and God paid the price for my sins through Jesus, he says, if he saved you when you were an enemy, much more will you be saved by his life. He ever lives to intercede for you. We should not live in fear. I was talking to a friend of mine back in Searcy this week. His leg was swelling and hurting a little bit. His wife's a nurse down in Little Rock. Well, she's just retired. And they're looking at that leg and says, that thing's not looking too good. So they go to the doctor. They, the doctor says, that thing doesn't look too good. We're in agreement. So they do some checking on it, he's got a blood clot. Goes to his primary care physician, Dr. Justice. I was in organic chemistry class with Dr. Justice back in the day. He made a doctor and I made a knothead. Mike looks at that, he said, I don't look too good. We need to check your lungs. So they do a check on his lungs. 
bilateral, both lungs. This is Tom Martin. I don't know if you knew Tom back then, Ken. He's a couple of years younger than us. Bilateral blood clots. Tom, they, his wife, they asked the nurse taking care of them there in the ER or back in the, they said, how many blood clots? She said, I don't know. You got a bunch of them. That's never good to hear. They said, we need to, this needs attention right away. So they put him to bed. They put him on an eloquence. And I talked to him and uh, a couple of days ago, he's doing better, feeling better. He said, you know, during that, he said, he said, that's a scary thing to hear, but I wasn't afraid. He said, Deanne and I talked about this and we don't know when our time is. He said, but I wasn't afraid. I want to get well. I want to be well. I want this to be tended to. But he said, I, he said, the Lord's got this either way. That's what Paul said. His tests were to help him rely on God. God wants us to have, to be, to have peace because we are at peace with him who controls the universe. We're at peace as his children. Don't live in fear. This is his message to us. Don't live in fear. Live in confidence of my love for you. If you were saved, if I saved you while you were living in sin, how much more will I save you now that you're living for me and carrying my name? Uh, Hebrews 9, 24 Jesus has entered into heaven to appear before the Father on our behalf. That's what Jesus is doing. Appearing before the Father on the behalf of his children. Whew. Right? Takes a load off. Paul says in Romans 5, verse 11, we got two minutes. So verse 10, let me go back. If we were enemies, uh, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, brought back to God by the death of his son, how much more shall we be reconciled? Now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? That's what we just referred to, Hebrews 9, 24. More than that, more than that, more than that. Why did Paul say that three times? Just checking if you're reading along. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Then he goes into a comparison uh, with Jesus and Adam, how the one's disobedience unleashed sin into the world and one's obedience unleashed brought righteousness to the world through him. Lord willing, we'll pick up somewhere thereabouts next week and get into Romans 6. Appreciate your time. Have a great week. Adios. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you.
like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.